Good to see you today. Uh, always good to see you, Gabe. Okay, are you ready to get back in this time machine with me? Sure am. Boom, we're going to go back to 1998. Thanks to Will Smith, the streets were getting jiggy with it. Proz was putting out one good song with uh, Mia and ODB, and he became a ghetto superstar for a day. The nation was riveted by titillating tales of marital infidelity in the White House, and Phil Hartman, the most talented SNL cast member and my favorite voice on The Simpsons, was shot and killed by his wife in a murder-suicide after allegedly spiraling out of control because Andy Dick gave her uh, cocaine. So I guess the moral of the story is don't let your loved ones do drugs with Andy Dick. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there, Gabe. That's, uh, that's a lot of... I, didn't, I forgot about Phil Hartman. It wasn't even mentioned in the stuff that I was reading. Yeah, it was so sad. It right? was. It was a really sad story. He, he's, he, he was my favorite um, cast uh, member. Apparently very a likable, really good human being. Always seems to be the way. Yeah, and then John Lovitz uh, afterwards went into, uh, like, confronted Andy Dick about it. Oh, really? He's like, this is your fault. You did this. Because uh, Brian Hartman, you know, I guess she was, like, bipolar or super depressed and... That just sent her spiraling out of control. Wow, I think that's kind of—it's hard to pin that on on somebody else. <laughs> I mean, look, we're all, we're always looking for a reason sure. when bad things happen. Yeah, no, of course, I get it, but uh, I think that's a lot to put on one person who didn't uh, actually kill anybody, right? Or tell you to kill anybody. Well, those were just the two the two things I thought about most when uh, when nineteen ninety eight came up was uh, getting jiggy with it and Phil Hartman murder suicide. He gave her cocaine, man. He didn't Manson her. Sure. Sure. Okay. It makes people go manic, though. I mean, you saw I, that scene in Boogie Nights. This where is the, something that I did. Those strung out dudes decided yeah. to try to rob, uh, rob their dealer. Oh, there's an awesome movie about that called Wonderland. With oh yeah, Val Kilmer about John Holmes. Yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, so both those movies kind of interpret the same crime, porn pornland crime. It's the same story. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, yeah, man, 1998. That was a, that was a big year. Uh, a lot of other things happened too. I mean, Sonny Bono, he also hit a tree and died mm-hmm. while he was skiing, which led to several rappers talking about how they hit trees like Sonny Bono in their rhymes. One one for sure, yeah. M- <laughs> Mr. M. Yeah, M, M did. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, uh, let's see. I th- So we're going to be covering a certain movie today, which is You Got Mail. Right, 1998's You've Got and Mail. That's I, why we're here. I had, I'd never seen it before. Nor had I. Uh, but uh, in 1998, here's, a, here's some movies that I had been watching. I, I saw The Big Lebowski. That was huge in, uh, in the dorm room. People were... Great movie. Like, over and over and over again. Yeah. It was just like, this is what we're going to watch yep. all week long, every day. And then other ones were The Truman Show. Right. The Thin Red Line. Bad. <laughs> Bad movie. I, I liked it, but, uh, you know, we can we can talk about that one. I mean, there's a ton of Another them. day. Titanic, Saving Private Ryan, Armageddon, There's Something About Mary. American History X. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, Enemy of the State. Um, also starring uh, Mr. Getting Jiggy With It, Will Smith. Right. Yeah. But uh, but uh, this year, 1990, 
1998, I was thinking about how this was kind of like the, the beginning of baby boomers uh, glowingly remembering World War II. Mm. Because uh, Tom Hanks was in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Right. And then we also had The Thin Red Line come mm-hmm. out, which was like a massive ensemble piece movie that had right. everybody from George Clooney to Woody Harrelson and uh, Sean Penn uh, right. in this war epic and John Travolta. And then uh, and then Tom Brokaw also uh, published his book, uh, The Greatest Generation. Right. So people were sweating the uh, World War II as kind of like, the last clean war that we fought right i mean they weren't wrong and uh i'm only bringing it up because tom hanks is starring in you got mail so this is like a a one-two punch for him where he's he's coming out the gate as like a spielbergian action hero in this feel-good movie about uh, the u.s saving europe at the same time as he's coming out in this Mm rom-com as uh as the as the leading man uh, leading, uh, <laughs> leading the charge in gentrification Just and destroying range. small small businesses. Right. So, uh, but uh, what what else? What else do we have? Nineteen ninety eight. Just to just to go over everything. Get yeah, you guys caught a, up to date in case you can't remember. Over at this point, weren't even born. Yep. I mean, people. Aerosmith was like big in the radio. People were listening uh, to their sad ballad. Uh, Don't want to miss a thing. Right from Armageddon. <laughs> My sister had an Armageddon poster in her room. Uh, Britney Spears was topping the charts. Baby, one more time. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. By Destiny's Child. The Beastie Boys were up with Intergalactic. Aaliyah uh, was still alive. Aaliyah was still alive. Yeah. Uh, so we had her on this planet until two thousand one. So R.I.P. to Aaliyah. But she was a big star. Big pun. Not a player. He just crushed a lot. Apparently. Um, we had a joke that that song was just about eating cereal. Yeah. Crushed. He crushed food a lot. And we would just sit around and like eat eat our frosted flakes and be like. I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. The EU was formed. Thank God. <clears throat> yeah. Thank God. What a useful organization. Fun while it lasted. <laughs> uh, Osama bin Laden declares a fatwa on Jews and Crusaders globally. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to do that. You got to make bold steps. I'm taking that personally. <laughs> Bill Clinton and Kenneth Starr are voted both uh, as t- as man's as Times Man of the Year. Uh, so the guy <laughs> who was. You know, pretty successful president had had a bit of a, a, an issue keeping it in his pants. That's right, with uh, very young interns. Right, Un- the unpaid help. The unpaid help, um, and the man that uh, was prosecuting him for perjury, and basically, you know, the move to impeach. Sure, kind of star. The hunter and yeah, the hunted. The hunter and the hunted. <laughs> but who was the hunter and the hunted here? Right. Um, Hamster dance website was created because the internet was a goddamn wasteland at this point. George Michael was getting jerked off in a bathroom. Yeah, R.I.P. to George Michael. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that, that's a lot. Oh, Frank Sinatra died. Oh, right, he did die. The man who did it his way. He did it his way. He finally went out. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, he, he married a woman who was engaged <clears throat> to another man. Uh, in uh, three weeks after the honeymoon, uh, he swooped back in and uh, poached poached this yeah she came way. back from the honeymoon and moved right in with the guy yeah right in with seinfeld which is really i mean i guess she just it's why not go on the paid vacation i mean he was the biggest movie star or uh you know tv star on the planet at the time yeah you go to seemed t- like a smart investment on this lady's part <laughs> she sure she, i'm sure she really loved him yeah very pragmatic yeah unscrupulous um who am i to judge hey man the heart wants what the heart wants yeah 
uh, and the heart will go on, according to 1998's Celine Dion classic from the film Titanic that if, if, shattered records. If anything we've learned is that um, is that love conquers all. Mm-hmm. And really, it's the most important thing. It, it trumps um, economics and uh, social and cultural constraints. It's, it's really... And I think that's what this movie really teaches us, too. That was fucking beautiful, Gabe. Thank you. Right. Yeah. All right, well, this, uh, let's, let's jump into You've Got Mail. <laughs> I mean, we can, we can do that. <clears throat> I mean, what's, yeah. why not at yeah. this point? Why not just talk uh, about the film? Well, this is, I mean, Nora Ephron is doing it again. This is our first Nora Ephron movie? I think we've, we've probably covered another Nora Ephron movie. She is a prolific writer. Mm-hmm. She's done a ton of rom-coms. She is like uh, human Xanax for white ladies. Do they love her? So mm-hmm. this, uh, I guess, will give you a very quick... Uh, synopsis of uh, you got mail if you haven't seen it but yep. i assume if you're listening to us you've <laughs> you've done your due diligence and and watch this on one of the streaming sites so we've got tom hanks and he plays a guy named joe fox and we have megan ryan and she plays kathleen yeah, yeah. and and uh so the movie starts with you know kathleen has a small children's bookstore that she is uh in charge of she inherited from her mother and uh it's on the Upper West Side. She loves her job. And the big conflict in the film is that Tom Hanks and his family, uh, Joe Fox and, and the Foxes, his father and his grandfather being part of this clan, uh, they are opening a big box retail store, uh, the, which is going to be like Barnes & Noble, basically. It's, it's a huge uh, outlet for books. And this big store is going to dem- smash all the competition and put all the small bookstores out of business, including Meg Ryan's bookstore. Meg Ryan, uh, Kathleen, her character Kathleen, is in a relationship with uh, a lefty journalist named Frank, and uh, it doesn't seem like it's going great because she has an online account with AOL, and she's doing some in- email correspondence uh under the pseudonym um, Shop Girl uh, with a guy, a mystery man, who happens to be Joe Fox. Oh, spoiler. Yes, yeah. So the whole, the film is basically about the evolving relationship between Meg Ryan's character Kathleen and Tom Hanks' character Joe Fox uh, over the internet as they share uh, email correspondence. A little side note. Uh, the film was uh, an adaptation, another another film that we're covering that's an adaptation of another film. Um, that's what we love, we, Xerox we love, copies of Xerox copies. We love Reese Witherspoon and adaptations. Um, <laughs> uh, the film was actually called The Shop Around the Corner, which mm-hmm. was referenced in, the, in, the, in, the, in this film. It's the name of uh, Meg Ryan's mom-and-pop bookstore in the film, Kathleen Kelly's bookstore. Uh, this was starring Jimmy Stewart and... Um, Margaret Sullivan came out in 1940. Uh, they were two Americans that worked at a general store in Budapest, Hungary. And instead of DMing each other, they were unwitting pen pals. Wow. Uh, very highly rated film, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Never seen it. Still Which may was never see it. based on an adaptation coming from uh, feudal Japan, yeah. where uh, two were a shogun and a geisha yeah. are, uh, are corresponding via carrier pigeon. Sending each other little scrolls. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, I believe it was called Yellow Lotus, uh, <laughs> uh, s- Simple Blossom. <laughs> yes, uh, yes and. 
I'd say. Um, this yes, is a man. weird, uh, weird movie. I, be, just because of the time period, yeah. uh, we really get to look at a lot of outdated uh, early um, internet tech. Yeah. You know, Which and, is fun for all of us because we spend, what, 93% of our lives now on the internet? I'm just scrolling. I'm constantly scrolling. Yeah. If there's an infinite scroll, be it on Instagram, Facebook, uh, I'm, I'm on all the sites. Your whole life is just a feed. Yeah. And, uh, and it, this, and this is, um, it's really packaged as like a feel good rom-com, but I think it's like uh, unintentionally one of the, the darkest films about free market capitalism yeah. I've, I've ever seen. And, uh, this movie filled me with dread, uh, within the first 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I think it's, it's looking at the world through uh, rose-colored glasses. You mean and like the the actual intro to the film, like the Tron the Tronish Lawnmower Man uh, cyber graphics they posted of yeah. New York City. So the very first scene is uh, we get we get uh, dial up. There's dial up internet happening. There's the Lawnmower Man vibes mm-hmm. uh, with all the <laughs> virtual reality, yeah, like graphing of the city. Just the b- very beta style. Yeah, it's like pre. It's, this is like pre MacBook. Mm-hmm revolution it's like eight bit six bit and uh and it anticipates google maps because we go we scan from the world to the island of manhattan to just the upper west side mm-hmm. and then finally it's a street view like dropping a pin yeah mm-hmm. yeah so uh it's, and i think this was like mind-blowing for people in 1998 i mean for me i got my internet my first email around that time yeah, and this was that era where uh, you would actually send people long emails. Yeah, there were if, letters. If I get an email now that's like more than a paragraph, yeah. I just um, I I resent the person who sent it to me for giving me homework. Oh man, he uh, had a buddy that was traveling. He was in Spain. and would write three page long emails and forward about ten people, and uh, it was yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I think now there's more etiquette around where to post stuff like that. Like, dude, save that for your blog. Yeah, it's like, like sending a text that's more than like three sentences long. <laughs> <laughs> that every text needs to have a call to action and a question attached to if it. If I had to, if I have to click see all to read your text, that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, so I'm you're not gonna a, make you're it. You're a weirdo. I don't know where it is. I don't know. I don't even like it now when people tell me where things are. Like, just say, hey, meet me, uh, meet me at Balberg. Yeah. You know, and if the if the next if the other person texts like, where is that? I'm like, you don't have Google Maps? People like, ask me for directions on stuff. Like, do you, have, do you know where this place is? Yeah, like, I know how to look at my phone and type something in. Like, why are you asking me directions? Like, are you going to retain the information? I'm like, you got to walk out the door, make a left, and you're immediate right. Like, why don't, why don't you use your brain? Yeah, don't be dumb and lazy. Jesus. So you carry that's not lazy. That's just a, a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so... So yeah, so this movie starts out with like the capitalist a... clash that is. You've got mail. I mean, it's, look who it's made by and for. And this this movie, Nora Ephron makes movies for people who basically spend time agonizing over the size of the island in their summer home kitchen. So this is there's she's you know. Yeah, yeah. I we, don't think she was making some sweeping political statement here. I think I, I think it's it's uh, there is no such thing as an apolitical movie. And what this is... Inadvertent ones there are. Yeah, this is kind of like, in the same way that someone might say, I don't see color, I don't see race. Right. This movie is kind of, is about class struggle, but its author is saying, I don't see class. And what, like, and and this is what I mean by that. So we got Kathleen 
uh, played by Meg Ryan, and she's got she's this brownstone girl. She's got a spacious apartment. This shows us this era in New York City, um, where that's gone. Like I really like New York in the late '90s, honestly. New York in the late '90s. This is it's one. It looks the Upper West Side looks very white. I was in. I was. I had stayed in for a, for a few weeks in the Upper West Side in 1998. Yeah, late '98. It was. Uh, it was nice. It was nice then. I, I think, think there, the I best think, of both worlds, New York. I think there was still. But what you're seeing is that uh, she, Kathleen represents like small a small business owner that can still thrive right. in the Upper West Side, and uh, everyone else who works with her at uh, the. Uh, what is it? The bookshop around the corner. The uh, they all uh, are struggling um, young people, but they can still afford to live in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And so there's this one uh, one scene where her coworker is like, oh, "I might have to move to Brooklyn." Yeah. And the other coworker has a rent controlled apartment. Yep. And it's mind blowing. Four fifty a month, he said. Yeah, that's nice. Where people are paying like two thousand for a studio now yeah. in Midwood. Mm-hmm. So, I'm paying three times that much <laughs> in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> so New York, uh, New York City hasn't quite died yet in '98, uh, yep. according to this film. Oh, I love, I love when people like old movies reference uh, moving to Brooklyn as uh, a, a huge problem. Yeah, it's like I, cool, man. Stay on your island till oh three, oh four, and then I, come I, fuck it up for everybody. I only go to Manhattan when I really, absolutely need to. Now, yeah. Manhattan to me is the suburb. If you live it's, in Manhattan, you're living in a box exactly. store. Exactly. I go there mall. if I need to go to the Container Store or Super Dry <laughs> or you know, like just to, like what what suburban moms do to go to outlets. It's like kind of why I go to Manhattan. I don't go there for restaurants or shows or anything. There's a an urban planner named Jane Jacobs. Uh, and she uh, wrote 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 a bunch of books uh, that are all great. But basically, she was at the forefront of anti uh, gentrification and anti like big urban uh, planning movements. Jane and Jacobs. Jane Jacobs, okay. and she was a foil to um, Robert Moses. Ah. And there's a big book about him, The Power Broker. Oh yeah, yeah. He Robert Moses, like his dream was to basically put highways. His, uh, like cut Manhattan up with mm. big super highways. He wanted to have a highway on Canal Street, if you can imagine that today. No. He wanted to have um, a, a big thoroughfare go right, cut right through um, the Washington Square Park, where those arcs are. Oh man! And it, in like um, Miss Maisel recently, like that show uh, came out, and you can see in one of the early episodes when a uh, little Maisel goes to uh, the uh, West Village. There's a big protest in Washington Square Park. Uh-huh. against Robert Moses and Jane Jacobs is there. But the whole point of her book was that uh, cities thrive. Her theory is that cities thrive when you have a vibrant, mixed economy, street culture. So, like, you've got uh, the local shop owners care uh, that there's no crime because they have an investment in keeping the neighborhood clean. And uh, you have, when the, when the bookstore closes, the bar right next door is opening. And you have people living next to all of these stores. So there's never a moment where the streets are empty. And like John Fox's character and what the Fox family is trying to do is basically consolidate all of the resources and create these massive box stores. Yeah. Which gets rid of like these these smaller businesses. Discount stores. They can outprice and undercut everybody. And Robert Moses, you know, his idea was like, let's build these massive projects 
these massive uh, buildings and these spaces that uh, are not at a human scale. And, you know, that's where you get like the like a Cabrini green from Candyman. Yeah. You know, these uh, scary massive high rise projects. Yeah. Or uh, like Co-op City in the Bronx or Left Rack. How un how unfun it is to walk. You can't even walk along the coastline in Manhattan because all of the uh, waterfront area has been turned into highways. Yeah. So that's like, you know, his idea was scale. Let's make everything big so we can fit as many people in as possible. But that sort of alienates everyone and creates like anonymity. And Jane Jacobs' idea was having every little component of the city feel more like a village yeah. where everyone's interconnected and knows each other. Oddly enough, Robert Moses State Park is sitting on one mile of beachfront property on Fire Island. <laughs> so he knew where to put his name. Yeah, yeah. No, he did. He did. He uh, And we, we do have him to thank for like uh, all of the sort of massive uh, 20th century buildings in uh, and projects yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. So anyway, that's like... The watching this, I immediately thought about the dichotomy between Jane Jacobs and Robert Moses. Uh, but to get on a micro level, we can talk about the the humanity in the movie, the characters, mm-hmm. and their little tiny dramas. It's a good way to put that. Yeah. Well, I, uh, how do you feel about uh, Tom Hanks in this movie, Mr. Joe Fox? Uh, it's weird. I I wrote down why is why is Tom Hanks so damn likable in general? Yeah, like, he's like. A, the male America sweetheart always has been hard not to like him. You know what it is? He's cunning, but he's charming and kind of funny enough and self sort of deprecating enough to where you just have to like that personality type. Dude, Tom Hanks has comedic chops. He really does. And, uh, those were the movies that I liked were his early movies. Sure. Like I'm thinking back to, uh, Dragnet splash and uh bachelor party. Turner and Hooch. Yeah. Let's, this is, I even liked him in Punchline. Yeah, that liked... was a the sad movie about comedians that like got cancer wards. He he definitely he does a a performance for the the sick people dying mm-hmm. in the cancer ward. Oh, that's right. But no, this that that sounds more like a Robin Williams vehicle. That looked like yeah, Patch Adams too. <laughs> yeah, no, but it which also came out in 1998. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Tom Hanks. Uh, he he's he, early Tom Hanks. He he really went for these comedic roles, and then later he well, went he for rom coms. Com- yeah, I mean, he was in uh, like Bosom Buddies, that like yeah. six, that comedy sitcom. That's where he became famous. Splash, The Burbs. I mean, Tom Hanks is you know he's yeah. in a lot of great stuff. I I mean I like Tom Hanks. Uh, but yeah, even in this, he's got comedic chops. But he plays, I, I'd say, um, one best. of the most unlikable characters. Sure. The best chemistry in the movie was between him and Dave Chappelle, and it's because two naturally funny people play really well off of each other. The two most cohesive scenes oh, wow. are, are them two together. I feel like uh, it was great to see uh, Dave Chappelle in this movie. and Holding his own as a young <laughs> young man. I feel like he was misused. He's so much funnier than the role that they gave him. Yeah. It was kind of like uh, seeing a filet mignon presented as a, an appetizer, and then they just poured like cold ketchup all over it. <laughs> I'm like, don't you know that this guy's the this guy's the FDA approved? Well, this he was, is the prime cut. He was probably busy working on Half Baked at the time. <laughs> yeah, so it's probably scheduling conflicts. So uh, now I'd like to actually <clears throat> see a team up between contemporary Tom Hanks and uh, contemporary Dave Chappelle to see what they could do. Yeah, 
with their star power. You know, Dave Chappelle was originally supposed to play Bubba Gump. He got the part, but decided to pass on it because he found the character to be like stupid and sort of stereotypical. Yeah, and and he kind of laughs about it, saying like he passed on the the biggest movie of all time. Uh, so that would have been another film where Tom Hanks and Dave Chappelle worked closely together. Yeah, but it, it would have been he would have been in the in the one of the top uh, ranked movies of all time that hasn't one hasn't aged well, and two he would have been uh, that dumb like character. Yeah, that stereotypical character. Forrest Gump, one to think on for us. Yeah, well. At some yeah. point, I'd love. I'd love to. Once we exhaust the uh, culinary and com- and romantic comedy, there's food in well. Forrest Gump. Oh, there's a there's lot. Shrimp. There's there's a lot. There's thousands of different kinds of shrimp. There's ro- there's romance in it. There is sort of. Yeah, Jenny. It's got, it's got everything. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to waste too much time on it. But no, uh, Jenny definitely uh, was reckless, uh, having unprotected sex with Forrest Gump she when she had HIV. Yeah, po- probably. Well. So we did. We talked. So Tom Hanks, he's likable. We love him. His character, Joe Fox, in this is uh, a quiet man who lives, um, it, you know, with uh, Parker Posey's character, Patricia Eden. I love Parker Posey. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Patricia Eden is she's a publisher. And Tom Hanks's character, Joe, is a is a bookstore owner, CEO of his company. And uh they don't really click at the beginning of this. She comes home talking a mile a minute. She's very ambitious. Uh, she's very superficial. And he just, she never asks him how he feels. Mm-hmm. So after he finishes mm-hmm. listening to her blather on, he goes to his study and he writes uh, very heartfelt journal-like emails to, uh, to Kathleen and their pen pals. So that's, uh, I don't know if you'd call that emotional cheating. I do. You know? That's a, you know, it's a question. It's a question. It uh, makes me think about, um, like, old books, like War and Peace. In War and Peace, uh, there's, a, there's characters that never meet because they live on opposite sides of Russia, but they're constantly sending each other letters. Right. And I think back in the day, people had these uh, relationships with, with um, humans that they rarely ever interacted with in, uh, in any sort of... In a physical sense. Yeah. Yeah. But you would just send letters, and that that was a, uh, what is it, a legitimate way to have a relationship with someone. And I don't know if it would be cheating. I, I think to to an, to an extent, it's emotional cheating for sure. Yeah. I mean, but I also think that these sort of pen palish relationships are great because it's like there's an anonymity in it. So you can feel you can be completely vulnerable because you don't even really know this person. You can, yeah. It's like it's basically like a therapist confidant and like a healthy relationship on almost all spectrums. Because there's no real, yeah, no real sense of loss. Like you're not, you know, who is this person? And uh, I think it's there's... like dealing with a Catholic priest at confession. <laughs> yeah, except the Catholic priest knows who you are because you're Which... in his church. Yeah, that's why if you are a Catholic and you want to confess, <clears throat> you should have to go to uh, a parish where you don't know the yeah. priest. Take like six buses to talk to a complete stranger. What a weird. Um, I never like, did the confession thing. What a collective delusion we have to think that Father O'Brien, mm-hmm. uh, who you know, right, won't hold you in less esteem by mm-hmm. hearing your confessions. Oh yeah, I mean, like he's not judging you. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I went to Catholic school for a few years. It's a different animal. Yeah. You were allowed to hit kids. Oh, they love it. Yeah, they love to, a little too much, yeah. <laughs> There's, a, like, in, I remember in War and Peace reading it that there's these two pen pals, and when they finally do meet, they don't actually get along. But prior to that, they had a very deep mm. spiritual, intellectual connection, emotional connection. And so sometimes it's important. You, you shouldn't meet the people that you actually uh, overshare with. I mean, can you be hurt by these people ultimately if you don't even know who they are in a physical sense? I, and you can tell, as long as they don't know who you are, you can confess anything. Exactly. Yeah. Such a stable. Why bother meeting? Why ruin a good thing? I, uh, my friend, uh, this is a comedian, Livia Scott, she put out a video a couple years back called I Like You Better on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I, re I really enjoyed it because this was like, this the idea that someone's online presence is so much cooler than who they are in real life. That's the reality of online yeah. presences. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah, sometimes, <clears> you know, it's don't meet your idols. Don't meet people that you have a crush on. Just let it. Yeah. Let it exist online. Absolutely. Because people tend to blow things. <laughs> people tend to disappoint. Yeah. IRL. So uh, it's, it's a very, very interesting relationship. They And they met in a chat room, mm -hmm. which is weird, too. Like yep. uh, Kathleen and Joe. I mean, I, I think chat rooms just sounded like emotional glory holes. I mean, yeah, it's just like-minded people agreeing with each other patting each other's stats. I've only been in one chat room, and it was around this time. It was in high school. There was a girl I was hanging out with at the time, and uh, she was in a chat room, and I was like, what's a chat room? She's like, well, basically, we just, you know, I wasn't internet savvy. This is, this is in high school. This is 19, you know, 97, 90, 97, probably. Yeah. And, um, you know, she was in a uh, Goo Goo Dolls chat room. She's a Great. Goo Goo Doll super fan. Yeah, you just pick any one topic and you're like, well, okay, this is our group and for we're, that. We're in her room and she's on the thing. And I was like, can I get on there? It's like, yo, everybody that likes Fraggle Rock. Yeah. <laughs> meet, meet in this chat room at 4 p.m. So as being like a jerky high school dude, I got in the chat room. She's like, yeah, you can talk, I guess, if you want. And I was like, cool. And she's like doing some, something else distracted. And I just start making fun of the band because it's the Goo Goo Dolls. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't even know what they are. And then I saw a picture of them and I was like, Pfft. And I just started going off on, like, I was like, what are you guys like? Just making fun of the people. Got her booted from the chat. And that was my first and last chat room experience. <laughs> she was not happy with me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to know exactly how to act. This was like, there was no etiquette yet. Yeah. So everyone was just going in chat rooms pretending that they were like 13-year-old girls. Well, that's, yeah, there, there's that part of it. I was just being a jerk <laughs> to a girl that I liked because I was so, in high school. So, so er, yeah, early trolling. Yeah. Before there was even a name for trolling. So... That uh, yeah, this um, this Did movie I was pressing. You were the you were the you were patient zero. Yes, tro troll numero uno, patient zero, <laughs> the outbreak monkey of trolling. <laughs> yeah, um, people people it, it caught on like like a wildfire. They're like, oh, we can just go into any room. Oh, and man, you can just trash people for, for liking stuff that you don't like and you think is stupid. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, we meet we meet the 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 Fox family and the Fox family. It's weird, man. Uh, Joe Dabney Fox's, Coleman. Joel Fox's dad, Dabney Coleman. Throwback. And uh, and then his dad. So it's like three generations of mm -hmm. businessmen. Tycoons. And uh, they it, he drops one line early that, that gets me thinking, oh, this is a Republican. He goes, uh, the dad, Dabney Coleman, says, all those West Side liberal pseudo-intellectuals. Yeah. And I go, okay, so. And what does Hank say? You mean readers. <laughs> He's <laughs> trying to uh, humanize them. Yeah, yeah, and so we see H Hanks is uh, a little bit different than his um, than his father and He's his not grandfather. Yeah, his father and his grandfather uh, are 
are serial womanizers mm. who have had multiple uh ex- they have multiple ex-wives right and tom, tom uh joe fox's has a has an aunt annabelle and uh a nephew matt i guess who are his uh well i don't know what they are their relations but he's got two like children that he looks after well one's his are... aunt the girl's his aunt <laughs> yeah uh and the boy is his brother stepbrother yeah. Or no, it's actually technically his half brother because it's his dad's kid. So their their family tree is just like this uh, tangled web dreamcatcher. Or an American family, he says. Yeah, a, a modern American family. And uh, we don't meet their moms really. I mean, we meet one of the we meet uh, the latest wife that Dabney Coleman's character has. Yeah, right. And uh, she's got a nanny, mm-hmm. and they it's... end up running away together. Mm-hmm. That's right, because nanny's going through a divorce. Yes. He's obviously not happy dating a 80-year-old man. But uh, but basically Joe Fox's character comes from just like a culture of patriarchs. Yep. They are the patriarchy. They they run they they're captains of industry. Um they're the big business owners. They're the most wealthy people in the movie. And uh the women in their lives are disposable that they basically just like breed with. Mm-hmm. And they have boats next to one another. Right. Fox 1, Fox 2, Fox 3. Right. Tom Hanks has his little fox boat, and uh, his goal in the film is to uh, is to put all of the other little bookstores out of business, right? To get his family's bookstore to be number one, the one place where everyone meets. So on paper, I'm not a huge uh, Joe Fox fan. I'm like, okay, well he's like the he's the son of inherited wealth, who's trying to uh, outcompete and crush all of the other uh, retail stores, right? And he's got he's got his own boat. He's uh he's like he's Trumpian. He's like a little Trump prince. Yeah, but he's like a, a, Eric he's, Trump. He's a successful businessman with a good business model. You know, we could say we could say that. Uh, I I I would agree, but I'd also say that the system is set up where even failing, uh, if you're wealthy, you fail up. Sure. You know? As much as uh, we could say Trump is not successful, he which is. True on some levels, he is still. <laughs> I mean, he's a terrible businessman. That's there's no <laughs> right. There's no question about that. Right. All, there's the, numbers. The brand. There. The brand is strong, though. Sure. You know, I think that's like a lot of it is uh, being too big to fail. I mean, it's also you know the repercussions for failing when you have money are less. All you have to do is continuously go into debt, and you're never really going to be poor. So what's the <laughs> difference? It's all litigation after that. It can go through years. Right. I which is thought... exactly what's happening to him. My my, I've always thought that it's um. You're more valuable an asset if you're in debt than if all your debts are paid off. And once you can afford lots of lawyers, you're fine. People have to keep you alive if they know that you're going to keep paying them. One thousand percent. Yeah, you don't want you don't want anybody to die uh, being very in debt because I want to recoup my losses, man. So uh, we got um. This movie kind of felt like a an estrogen laced Wall Street for like English lit majors, where like you know Joe Fox plays is is basically uh, you know Gordon Gecko's character like a more lighthearted version of Gordon Gecko, and uh, Meg Ryan's character is basically Charlie Sheen's dad. <laughs> yeah, and it's like if Wall Street was like on a river of soy milk. It's like she, she uh, Kathleen hates uh, Joe Fox because he's she putting her out of he business. Represents his ideal, yeah. But she, it doesn't politically awaken her, you know. There, there's a there's a tiny little um, march against uh, the the Fox Box bookstore, 
but it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Um, Kathleen's a little bit of a hypocrite. She uh, she's against these um, these big corporate chains, but she continues to go and drink coffee at Starbucks. Right. <laughs> I love how Starbucks hasn't changed at all. It's the exact same place t- exactly twenty years ago as it is today. Same vibe, same aesthetic. Yeah, this. Movie, I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? It. But they bring up Starbucks in this movie, but it it doesn't feel like an indictment against it. It feels this film has this. Uh, the, the crushing weight of inevitability uh, that goes to, with it, this sort of like march of progress. Like you can't, you can't um, fight against the Fox bookstore. You can't fight against the Starbucks. So you might as well just go along with it. Like Meg, uh, Kathleen, Meg's character, uh, gets rid of her bookstore and is willing to go to bed with the monster that put her out of business. I mean, he's a monster on a lot of different levels in this movie, I think. You know, what are they telling people? What's the message that they're sending to Americans, to women, to small business owners? Just like, Don't submit. vote. If you can't beat them, join them. And uh, just give up. Yeah. You don't have a shot against money. <laughs> and, uh, and, and all of that, uh, that's, the, that's the neoliberal consensus. That's, that's kind of the ideology after the fall of the Soviet Union, it's a, f- a film-based pacifier for change. And and this is this is Clintonian um, politics. Oh yeah, it's, they love money. This is Those third guys. way. It's Clintons. it's saying that there's no we can't protect the workers, we can't protect the factories, we can't protect the small business owners. Uh, you might as well just uh, bow down to the free market economy and forget your status and your identity as anything other than a consumer. And a consumer wants the cheapest product. Of course, we're going to go to Fox Books because their books are cheap. Of course, you're going to go to Starbucks. It's everywhere. It's convenient. And you have the illusion of choice. So, yeah, this movie just bummed me out. It was seriously the most depressing film. Look at it at a a, a geopolitical. And that's only the first half. I almost stopped watching it uh, halfway through. Because I was just, I felt this, uh, how bleak it was. I, I felt like I was watching The Wire as a rom-com. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there was no battle at all between the, <laughs> the massive bookstore and her little, it was just like, yep, yeah, now it's done. Oh, here we are. Oh, you're gone. And then, and then the second half of the movie takes the creepiest turn. Just a utter hour and a half of completely unnecessary manipulation of this woman's <laughs> feelings and thoughts. Uh, and just insanity apparently yeah so uh what what we need to know about in the second half of the film uh joe fox uh discovers who kathleen is he discovers that it's shop girl because they they plan to meet in real life Mm -hmm. and he uh goes into the coffee shop where she is but he never reveals to her that he is uh like i forgot his his handle it's like new york something yeah jf152 or something like that it's some nonsense it's it's a handle that i would never respond to i'm like oh you just sound like a russian bot right but uh or like you know how uh when you when you go to like your parents house and they've got their the wi-fi set up and oh, the like, password oh, is and the like, password's yeah. always like capital z w j x y two nine five seven two eight three people it's like dude yeah. why just make it make it something easy that we all know like dark lord so, uh, she, uh, also this Meg Ryan's char- character is dumb as rocks. 
like the fact that Kathleen can't figure out uh, that Joe Fox is this is the guy. I'm like, why? Why else would he be in this coffee shop? Yeah, that was such a night? labored point. Yeah, and Nora Ephron's always been under criticism for making her movies very long. The same way Judd Apatow does. Yeah. Um, it's like I just figured out who it was. Um, I I couldn't handle the stupidity of the lead for right. not being able to figure out. Well, it's like she couldn't really figure out the best way to make the reveal, so she kept pushing it back until they found one that worked, sort of. Yeah, and uh, now now Joe Fox <clears throat> has the upper hand. There's asymmetrical knowledge. He has had the upper hand the entire film in every <laughs> in every aspect. And and this this is another problem. Like, okay, so as a comedic actor, I like Tom Hanks, but I really want to see. I want a protagonist I can root for because they're the underdog. Right. Uh, at no point in this film is Joe Fox the underdog. Yeah. He's got all the money. He's got all the information. Um, he's got the high status. All the leverage. Right. And he's likable to people. Yes. People find him affable. And uh, Kathleen is, uh, throughout the entire film, she is unaware and her resources are dwindling. Dim-wittedly and she's narcissistic. Not struggling. <clears throat> yeah. She's not fighting against it in any well, way. Well, she doesn't shape have to. She's well off. <laughs> yeah, she's well enough off. Well, she's yeah, not... she's fine. Right. Her store uh, brings in $300,000 a year. <laughs> right, which is not even. <laughs> I don't know if that's net or gross. Who cares? Because that's not even <laughs> rent, technically. <laughs> Yes, <clears throat> and uh, and we it, all, the, all, one thing I did like about this is that um, it has the easiest breakups I've ever seen on film, and I I really appreciated that. Like you know, not every relationship has to end in a sticky way. Kathleen and Frank they have the chillest breakup. They go to a coffee shop. Uh, he's like, "I'm not in love with you." She's like, "I'm not in love with you," and then they start laughing and joking. And that was probably the chemistry that they had when they first fell in love. Yeah. Like once they reveal their truth to each other. Yeah, like we're so good on paper. Right. But that never means anything. It's actually usually worse that way. And Frank is dope, by the way. I know they make him out to be like a pompous uh, sort of He's writer in this. Socialist, liberal, media, elite. Yeah, I'm into all of that. <laughs> I mean, no, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this guy. This guy's dope. Like I'd start a podcast. <coughs> right, sorry. This guy's dope. I'd start a podcast with this guy. Like he's, you know, he's uh, he's talking about Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. I mean, he's like, the kind of guy that starts podcasts. Right, right, right. Well, he would be doing a podcast now because of the death of print. Yeah, of course. You know, what he he can't be writing for the Village Voice anymore. I mean, I, I say this is one sort of nostalgic note. I loved small bookstores when I was a kid. Like yeah, the smell and the vibe and like. It was great. I, I just feel I feel sad that kids today can't uh, can't experience that. Yeah, you just level. go into Dalton Books. Like, barely. Yeah. Is, are the, are they even around? No, they're not. They're gone. Those guys were big. They were in D.C. Yeah, B. And Dalton, then, B. Dalton, Georgetown, and, uh, Barnes and, and Noble. My uh, and then there was a mystery bookstore. And the idea that you could just have a bookstore that's so niche, yeah. that all they sell is mystery novels. Right. Yeah. There's a couple of old, you know. Holdovers from that that era. The Strand still doing good things in New York. Sure. Small. Huge. What are they? They've got over twenty miles of books. Yeah, fifteen inside. Jillion titles. Yeah, I like the Strand. I like. Uh, I go to the the one in uh, Union Square. Mm-hmm. I hang out in there. Yeah. Sit on the floor, read, draw. 
it's a nice place to be. Text? Mostly I just text Mostly you just text <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I engage in uh, emotional relationships mm. via text. Yeah, let's, let's go back Mostly a Mostly sending people gifts. So you don't... We're going to cover this area because the, 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 the film itself is pretty linear. Yeah. And streamlined. There's, you know, you've seen it. You can either agree with our take on the, uh, the capitalist notions or, or not. You know, it is what it is. But emotional cheating... I mean, they're both, these people that are both sort of using each other as emotional support and as like a soundboard and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a more intimate relationship than a physical one. That's true. I think that these relationships existed prior to the internet and when they did though, it was in the form of letter writing. So when you look at anybody's letters uh, from like the, any Ken Burns documentary, I mean, you know, people are writing letters to people that they weren't married to. Right. They're friends from boys' boarding school or whatever. Soldiers writing back to their wives or girlfriends. Sure. Mm-hmm. And they're what are they doing while they're out there in the wild? Yeah. You know, they're, they're sleeping with the, the camp stragglers, the, the people that follow. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like what it is is it's this weird area where the boundaries are blurred. You know, the pen pals are therapists, like you said, but it's also like a relationship you're having. But how many relationships can you have at one time in life? You know, there's this idea that you have a, there's the monogamous relationship, and they're both monogamous, like in terms of sex. Right. Right. Uh, Frank and Kathleen, they're not cheating on each other. And Frank has, Frank is being flirted with all the time Mm -hmm. by by other uh, women. Talk show hosts, party goers. And, and uh, in some ways, I, like, I, I get that, and I wonder why uh, it's portrayed in the film as bad that he's attractive to other women. Because he's not, he is, he did flirt in the interview scene, mm-hmm. but in the first one, it's like, somebody just flattered him and complimented his writing. Oh, right, right. So Meg, uh, or Kat, you know, Meg Ryan's character, Kathleen, is like off-put by other women flirting with Frank. Yeah. But really, you know, she should be like, oh, yeah, he's desirable. I got myself a catch. Mm. That's how I look at it. Sure. And then, um, uh, Joe Fox, he doesn't, he doesn't cheat on Patricia, Parker Posey's character, who's super self-absorbed. Yeah. Parker Posey is an excellent actress when it comes to... She's really good at that. ...to living in her own world. She's very good at playing a self-obsessed New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah. The best. Yeah. The best. Uh, I'd, I'd watch all of her films. She's great. Um, yeah, anyway, so emotional cheating. Maybe it's happening. Maybe they didn't even have a word for it yet. Yeah. Uh, but they end up getting together. Oh, and then and then uh, Joe Fox, he decides to break up with uh, Patricia over the most low-stakes uh, life-affirming crisis. They get stuck in an elevator together. Right. And that's the the catalyst for him deciding that he's going to walk out on her. That she's actually, like, that's how he saw that she wasn't a good person, just an impatient, snotty New Yorker. Yeah. The threatened of the, the, the uh, elevator, well, what do you call those guys? <laughs> it's like the uh, the bellboy of the elevator, the bellevator boy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, what an obsolete job that is, too, to yeah. be an elevator uh, doorman. Yeah. Those guys. Do they still exist? Uh, I think so, in some buildings in the, in Manhattan. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see him too much in Brooklyn. The Upper East Siders. Yeah. 
still feel the need to uh but they're basically just there for status it's a bullshit job it's yeah. it's you know a lot of jobs i think are just bullshit because they exist to make people with money feel more important mm. like and and you're wasting someone else's time to employ them they should just have uh like universe it should just be universal basic income for most people because they don't need to have jobs. Everybody that's an elevator doorman should be told, man, you can take the day off if you want. Yeah, like, you can take we'll a just... month off. Yeah. Go yeah. write a book or something. People can, people can push their own buttons. Right. Can they, though? Should they have to? Doorman? Maybe? What's up with that? I don't know. That's a security thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, to dress them up, like, with swords. That would be amazing. <laughs> if it's really, if it's just really full security. Fu- full fucking chainmail armor. Yeah. I would actually I make it look my, like I would pay a lot more money to live in a building that had a chain, like a, an armored guard. Yeah, like make this. This is a medieval times yeah. themed building. Fucking yeah, and just have bronze from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mu- must have facial scarring. I didn't feel unsafe before, but now I feel <laughs> really safe. Like he will, he will smite you if you don't have a passcode. You will be smit. You'll, you'll be smote. Also, dogs. Why are there not real hounds in front of any of these buildings? <clears throat> That's uh, interesting. It's not like the the London docks in 1855. <laughs> um, so yeah. we agree, emotional cheating is technically. I mean, whatever. No harm, no foul. I don't. I don't really care. Look, their relationships were on the rocks. Sure. They, they were. They were. Uh, and I think the way that um, Nora Ephron wrote it is that they're kind of just. Nora Ephron has this concept of relationships uh, where it's really just about finding the right partner. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it takes a lot of the power dynamics out of play. It's it's as though Kathleen, her big mistake was that she got with Frank and they just aren't compatible. And that uh, Joe, his big mistake was that he got with Patricia and they're not compatible because Joe fits with... Uh, Kathleen because they're both all they care about is being business people like as much as uh, Kathleen uh, is uh, involved in books it really doesn't matter she's just a shopkeep and she's bad at it and Joe is just a shopkeep on a much bigger scale so they belong together and and uh, Patricia's character Parker Posey's character like she, I think she should get with Frank. Like they belong together. Oh yeah, absolutely. I you know, I don't know why. I just thought that that was that that, that happened. Yeah. Well, well if it, if showing it, it to us. Oh man. Well, I think he might he might go on a date with the uh, the woman that interviewed him on the TV show. Oh, he show. certainly did that. But uh, but yeah, he should hook up with um <laughs> with uh, Patricia, and mm-hmm. then they can double date because like because they belong together. Like Patricia's character genuinely likes writers. Right. And uh, I didn't like Meg Ryan's character because I identify with writers. And whenever Frank was talking, I thought, yeah, that's this is a creative man. He's just banging it out on a typewriter. And she's not really into it. Like, she doesn't vote. She's apolitical. She doesn't seem highly literate outside of the realm of children's literature, which is, you know, at a fourth grade reading level. <laughs> so. so you think she's bred to be a kept woman by a guy with... Kind of. Bunch of money, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. It seems like it. I mean, and I'm, I'm just saying, that's how Nora Ephron wrote her. Yeah, no, no. This is so. not This is not our... T- I mean, this is our take on what we saw. Yeah. My, this is not, you know, us making a sweeping generalization. My take is that she is... Uh, she Meg Ryan plays her with um, a very likable innocence, 
but uh, her she seems naive, uh, bad at business. But she's goofy and cute. Yes, her goofiness and her cuteness uh, superficially. Uh, in fucking parachute pits. Yeah, they're they're hypnotic. They make you like her off the bat, but any deeper uh, inspection of her character, and she's a very shallow, dumb, comfortable woman. And ended up being with the guy that manipulated her, catfished her for basically several months, put her company or her her livelihood at jeopardy, and destroyed her company, her, her business. That's why this is such a dark movie. Yeah, oh yeah. my god, it's grim because John Joe Fox is a sociopath. Everything that he does today would be seen as uh, toxic behaviors. Like you just brought up, he's he's a uh, he's gaslighting her. Yeah, you know uh, which. He's he he knows what she's thinking because she's writing to him in her electronic journal. Yeah, and then he's taking everything that she's telling to his uh, his pseudonym and warping and manipulating it when he talks to her she's as her best friend, creating leverage. Yeah, and that, so that's that's uh, completely unethical. Mm-hmm. And so I I couldn't get behind. It as any form of courtship, right? It it just seemed to me as uh, manipulative and uh, something that only a sociopath would do. Right, agreed. Then, uh, then the other that that's like having a private detective hiring a private detective to follow around the person that you have a crush on. But in a way, worse. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's just like it, metaphorically just sniffing her dirty uh, panties and like. <laughs> rifling through her trash can and like reading all of her bills and breaking into her apartment and like looking over her journal and then meeting up with her later for coffee and being like what's up sis you okay like oh what up what if this guy's fat ha 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 ha. fat people suck (laughs) and then he's catfishing her right because he's acting like he's two people so so bad yeah so many chances to do the right thing because this movie stretched out for way too long and uh, it just kept going, perpetuating the, the manipulation. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> you know, my final thoughts on this are that Tom Hanks is a, is a great comedic talent. He wasn't given enough room to squirm. And uh, it's the moral of the story is that he's a, the villain who wins the girl. Yeah, great he's like, is good. He's a he's a piece of shit, and this movie celebrates the death of modern cities and uh, applauds greed and uh, corporate consolidation. It's a, Clint- as good. it's a Clintonian love story. <laughs> it is, it is, and it makes sense. I mean, we were riding high. This was like peak uh, Democrat economy. Yeah, this was the heyday of the Clintons. We were doing well, and and it's also why he survived the Monica Lewinsky trial. Yeah. Was that um. Things were going good in the economy, and, and that's all people really care about. Started carpet bombing ethnic cleansers, and uh, we looked like good people. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm glad that the, the world has changed, and I think ideologically this film, you know, it doesn't hold up. But it's a really great time capsule if you want to see uh, what we thought was okay in 1998, <laughs> <laughs> as e- economically as well as uh, romantically, because none of what. Um, Joe Fox is doing in this holdup as uh, acceptable forms of courtship. Emotional stop and frisks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen this movie already. So now, now you're going to look at it through a slightly different light, hopefully. 
Yeah. I mean, that, we're, we're not here to shape your opinions. We're here to sort of give ours and, and see how you feel. And, you know, we want feedback too, by the way, guys. So we're, we're, we're up and running now, more, more stable as a podcast unit. Yeah, uh, please uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell friends. Um, if you don't like stuff going on in this podcast, uh, let us know too. Cause... We want to hear everything. We want to make this better, a better experience for you overall. Um, so, you know, we, we now have a Facebook page, Instagram page. Um, yeah, we got a Twitter. <clears throat> Twitter feed. We want to hear your feedback. We want to hear movies that you guys want reviewed. Yeah, we want to talk about. We want to make this as as uh, interactive as possible, guys. So get get on there. I think we're gonna have a website soon, but you you, you can find everything at <clears throat> Epray Judge, or Epray Judge Pod. Yeah. All and, right, uh, we're yeah. out there, man. Get at us. I'm Gabe Pacheco. You can find me at Gabe underscore uh, Pacheco on Twitter. Sammy Hamarne, at Sammy Hamarne at Twitter. Epray Judge Instagram page. Epray Judge on Facebook. Yeah, and all over iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. All right, and uh, we'll, we're going to try to get a Patreon going sometime soon. And uh, write us to hear about what you want on that feed. Yeah. Okay. All right, see you guys. Peace. Stay here. I know.